0: This show is a screwball comedy with blue humor, adult situations, and some cussing. For subject matter and show notes, visit patterspod.com. The following events are fake. The story, however, is real.
1: Want a lawyer who's big with the bae? Call one in- they through courts like some tasty way Call 1-800-BIGWAGDAVE If you need a rad dude who knows his law. Call one 800 And ain't afraid to call the judge bra. Call 1-800-BIGWAGDAVE Call one 800
0: That was a jingle for a local law firm Performed by a band known as the Moon Doggies. The lyrics go: Want a lawyer who's big with the babes? Call one eight hundred Big Wave Dave. That'll shred through courts like some tasty waves. Call one eight hundred Big Wave Dave. And then the rest. Their lead singer invited me to his hometown, claiming he had something important pertaining to the investigation to show me. And the singer's name? It's Big Wave Dave, the beach lawyer. I know what you're thinking. Beach law? It's apparently a thing. I'll let Dave tell you all about it.
1: There's maritime law, correct? Okay,
0: sure. Captains can marry people at sea.
1: Captains can do a lot of things. And then you got your fashion law, motorcycle law, beach law is no different. Did you know at the start of every watch, a lifeguard is technically required to introduce himself to everyone on the beach with a courtly bow? Or that you need a permit to wear flip
0: flops? That's ridiculous.
1: That's beach law, baby. And without it, we're no better than the animals.
0: This is Finding Pattersby, a thriller in 10 parts. Previously on Finding Pattersby, and on the cornerstone in bronze relief was a face, a man wearing a mask, made of twigs. Oh, you don't cut writer's block or something, do you? Because back in the day, word got out you at writer's block. Oh, they take you out back and out like a horse. Sometimes, when I'm alone at night, I can feel his eyes on me, the twig man. Chapter 4. The Law of the Sand We'll hang ten with Dave and his beach law in a moment. But first, I want to address the elephant in the room. After our last chapter aired about Fiona Caruso, many of you wrote in to say you found the ending to be strange, otherworldly and proof positive of the supernatural. I have to assume you're referring to stuff like this. I know it sounds crazy, but if anything ever happens to me or Luke, it will be because of him, because of the twig Man. Some of you also called this moment bone chilling, a scary good time, and... A total creep fest that left you wanting more. I hate to rain on your spooky parade here, but anything that sounds unbelievable probably is. These were obviously hoaxes. Someone's hoaxing me. Like one of those old videos where a psychic doctor would claim to pull a tumor out of somebody, but really it was like a chicken breast tossed into a bowl of water. We got hoaxed. No shame in admitting it, it happens. But while we're on the subject, hear me now. For an investigation like this, where we are science-based, we are fact-based, where we trust what the data say, I'm only interested in the here and now, folks. This ain't the Ghostbusters. It's sleuthing, mind-hunting, real gumshoe shit. Also, Santa Claus doesn't exist if you need me to say that too. Now, this publisher character that Fiona's used as some sort of malevolent figure behind all this, him and his kooky crew, I am interested in. Let me explain. During one of my classic research sessions, I peered deep into that cable laden data filled lady we call the internet and found that a few months before Pattersby went missing, Pattersby Storytellers Incorporated, where I worked, was secretly acquired by an entity known as Monomyth Publishing. I could not find any named executives behind this entity. I did find a website, which I will now describe. The splash page greets you with the warmth of an usher in a funeral home located on Wall Street. To be sure, it's barren in design and cold impenetrable dark as a starless night it feels like a rectangular abyss save for a sleek letter m styled in that way that i don't know the name of um and it's like if the empire state building was a font that's what it looks like i click on an about section that reads The goal of Monomyth Publishing is to breathe new life into the age-old art of story-craft. Whether it be a tale as old as time or a new experience ready to be discovered, our authors strive to place readers inside the very universes they create. We aim to thrill. Um, okay. The word authors is generously hyperlinked, and a simple click brings up a roster of top talent. Pretty standard, but it doesn't take a names expert to know something's fishy here. By which I mean, all the hotshot authors mentioned in Fiona Caruso's recordings are also listed on this website. Your John Jasper Links is your Chuck Chances, and most importantly as far as myself and our beach lawyer is concerned, Tawny Gatherbrook. Or, as Fiona Caruso called this bunch, the Children of the Thrill. Which brings us to the land of sand, sun, surf, and scoops. Portola Beach, California. To those who've never been, Portola Beach feels like a nuclear shadow burned into the coast from a paradise bomb that went off decades ago. And whatever life force continues here is fueled entirely by the fallout. Precious few hunks and babes enjoy fun in the sun these days. In fact, the only hard bodies you're likely to see here are in the yellowed novelty postcards Oggled over by wobbly winos who shovel through sandy floored liquor stores while turf hungry surf punks go loco on posers. Gidget? This ain't. And presiding over all of it, like a suntan Batman in a Tommy Bahama shirt and khakis, is Big Wave Dave, the beach lawyer.
1: Unbelievable. You can't drink milk on the sand.
0: Okay, so see, something like that. I mean, she's just a toddler. What if she really wants milk?
1: Oh yeah? Well, maybe I should walk into the post office and demand they serve me spaghetti.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're serious. I spend the overcast morning walking on the beach, chowing down on a killer breakfast burrito while getting schooled on the finer points of beach law. I keep waiting for Dave to break and tell me he's goofing about all this, but he's as serious as a riptide. Obviously, throughout our maritime constitutional, I'm wildly curious about this so-called important thing pertaining to the investigation he wants to show me. Ever since Dave called our tip line late one night, stating,
1: What you're looking for and what i found are the same thing. We can help each other out. Come see me. Let's have us a day at the beach.
0: He goes on to mention Tawny Gatherbrook, which definitely piqued my interest. And 24 hours later, I found myself party to the self-appointed beach lawyer, Absorbing his views on seashore jurisprudence, because as far as this mystery clue goes, his lips are sealed tighter than a clam, and my mind-hunter etiquette forbids me from prying too hard. I must say, our discussion is illuminating, as I learn how entrenched the governance of beach law is in this community, almost folk-like in its adherence. I notice a sign forbidding dogs from wearing sunglasses. And I'm reminded how in one Washington county it's illegal to kill Bigfoot, and in Arizona you need a permit to feed trash to pigs. So maybe Dave's pastime isn't all that out there. And as far as signage goes, his community seems to back him up. I mean, everywhere I look, there's official phrases like, Don't lie to clams, it's the law and see something, say something. With the picture of a starfish stuck to someone's whole face, like a sea in a tide pool, this is Dave's natural habitat. And as sure as islands and oil rigs fill the yellow horizon like old and new gods observing in shared benevolence, I find in me something bigger happening in my hunt for more clues I find myself okay with taking the scenic route on mine and Dave's journey to our mystery destination find myself okay with just being dudes hanging out in my opinion Dave is a cool guy it's evidenced by all the waves of hellos we get in our walk Dive bar owners hosing down industrial kitchen mats. Ladies of a certain age with dyed hair and cigs flicking on the open sign at their palm reader storefronts. Guys with parrots. I imagine these are the denizens of Beach Law. Those keeping the scene alive. See, one thing no one talks about is how lonely mind hunting can be. And in regular life, I haven't been this close to friendliness in, well, ever. Dave is a man of the people, and I find myself wishing that I was one of them. A fellow fringe dweller in Dave's good graces, a band of misfits on the outside looking in, trying to make sense of the senseless. And no matter how today plays out, if I could walk away with a pal like Dave, then that'd be amazing. It would be awesome to be less alone. Truth be told, I don't even think it would take that much because for the few hours we have spent together, I already feel a strange kinship with the guy. Honestly, I think we could be best friends. Maybe it's the fact that we're both big ol' snoops. Or, maybe it's the easy pattern that's developed between us. A bond, if you will. I mean, how else do you explain comfortable exchanges like? Well, I suppose in a place like here, sand dollars are the most obvious form of currency.
1: It's how I bought this shirt, my man.
0: And I see your point about chaos, Dave. So what keeps it all in order? You're looking at him, boyo. Plus, I like your style, Dave. Chill, but not... Threat to yourself and others, chill.
1: And you remind me of a decent dog I used to have. It's a shame my wife hired a pet hypnotist to turn him against me. Price of love, right?
0: See? Peas in a pod. The vibe between me and Big Wave Dave is like two buddy cops on a stakeout. Uh, Emphasis on the word buddy, which I don't want to mess up. But that's us, man. Two bloodhounds on scent. Chowing down. Getting on each other's nerves. An odd couple of mind hunters with mismatched yet complementary personalities. Which, okay, yeah, it worries me. It worries me because I don't want to mess it up. Okay, look, for some reason, I have a history of thinking that the second I like somebody, they'll start to see me as unworthy of affection or camaraderie, and so begins the countdown until they think I'm a thirsty nerd with no friends. And as self-defeating as that sounds, that's the shoe for which I'm waiting to drop. The you don't deserve friends shoe, which is honestly probably more of a clog, but you get what I'm saying. We pass a muscle man flexing for some chicks on the beach, and so much am I up in my head. I realize I've not spoken for several minutes and find myself trying to cover by saying something really cool, but is really just an inexplicable non sequitur of something a cop would say on a stakeout. You know, the old ladies got me eating tofu. Just what I need, right? Another health food diet. Dave stops walking, and I'm sure I've messed up. Uh uh-huh.
1: what the hell are you talking about?
0: The belch makes things feel casual, but from one mind hunter to another, I pick up on something. A newfound suspicion in Dave, kicked off by my odd behavior. Damn it. There's no use in pretending anymore. I've given it to him. A reason not to trust me. And worse. A momentary glimpse of my insides. My real insides. The hidden part that spurs a look. It's a look I fear I've seen before. A look that says, I'm not seeing you as you are. I'm seeing you different. I try to change the subject and point out something harmless on the beach. Uh, hey, look, sand castles. Neat, turrets. Dave does not join me on my retreat into small talk. And I realized in his obstinance, maybe this was the point all along. That maybe there was an ulterior motive for how cozy Dave let things get. An angle to lure me out of my shell. Some mind hunters do this. Be chummy as they strip you down like an onion this hospitality a mere prelude to him cracking me open like a lobster. He brings up a subject that feels unnecessarily charged.
1: You know, I once ripped a fella who had his idea for a sandcastle plagiarized. Can you imagine someone would do that? Steal someone else's idea? Dregs of society, man. Garbage. Big whoop,
0: Dave. It's a sandcastle. I sound tougher than I feel. I'm not quite sure what he's getting at, but I know he's not really talking about sandcastles, and I worry Dave is working me into his crosshairs. I mean, what gives? Why is this cat trying to sack me out?
1: Would you steal someone else's idea?
0: I, uh, no. No. Dave doubles down, like I'm Goody Proctor in this one-man crucible then scuttles up to me like a vindictive crab and whips off his shades, a tan finger jammed in my face.
1: You sure about that?
0: Okay, so here's where I'm guessing a lot of you want me to address the other elephant in the room, which is a pernicious rumor on internet about me that, I guess someone's saying how I supposedly put my name on someone else's story at some point. Which, no. I'm not gonna give that bogus nonsense the time of day. It's silly, it's not true, and well, maybe I joked about this kind of thing at some point, but I don't know. My worry is that Dave has fallen prey to this gossip and is trying to make me sweat without calling me out. Give your boy enough rope to hang himself. If he wants to sit here and j'accuse me and destroy something beautiful, AKA the story of finding friendship in a hopeless place, he's gonna have to do the dirty work. I play possum and demand he shit or get off the pot. Well, what's that supposed to mean?
1: Kid, I see you. I see who you are, who you really are. You can't hide that kind of thing, not from these baby blues!
0: So this is the clog drop, huh? I thought we could be pals. But I worry Dave's chosen to believe internet instead of coming to me first. And just that knowledge brings up old tapes. And even though I don't want to, I can feel myself start to cave. My nerves have never been more jangled. and. I start sputtering defensive nonsense. Fuck. You can't, I don't know who you think I am, but obviously, you know, be that as it may, granted that... My heart rate rises, my cheeks flush, and I feel all alone last picked on the playground again. Nah, 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 nah. I shut my eyes tight, wishing a tsunami would sweep me out to sea, when instead I feel something land on my shoulder. I hope it's an albatross ready to carry me off, but I open my eyes to find Dave's hand there instead, clapped on my back, sporting a huge Cheshire grin.
1: Hey, hey, relax, kid, I'm messing with you.
0: He beams at me with a smile that immediately relieves all tension, as if to say, hey, dude, the past is the past, and that's a beach law uh, in my continued assumption maybe too soon i start gushing oh because i thought you were gonna say N- never mind quick note I-, I thought dave was going to bring up uh, not anything that they say about me on internet but uh how in high school i was voted most likely to not have friends which i don't know why the teachers let that right in the first place but i'm just relieved to hear that mine and Dave's buddy ship still has a shot. Thankful to also not avoided my bowels, I stare at my feet almost apologetically, ashamed that I could ever doubt Dave and wonder aloud. But um, who do you think I am? He puts his whole arm around me and looks off to the scenery before us, like we're sharing the same vision. His clutch tightens and something in his head makes him serious again. Like an unresolved memory bubbling up to the surface.
1: You're from the scrap heap like me.
0: What? Uh, I I guess he could, I wouldn't put it that way, but yeah, I didn't have it super easy growing up. I mean, who does? A lot of bologna cooked on the stove. The endorsement seems to satisfy him and he continues. Only now the distant look has returned to his eyes and it feels like Dave is having two conversations. One with me and one with his demons. So tell me, why do you want their approval? My listeners? Without them, there's no one to hear the important things I have to say.
1: No, not them. Them, the big wigs, the fancy men. The one jingling their keys to the kingdom while you grab away, just out of reach.
0: His intensity makes me feel like I'm in the hot seat again, and I do not want to lose Dave at this point. I don't know what to tell you, Dave. This isn't about, you know, being one of them or uh, impressing fancy men or whatever you're saying. He looks at me dead on, square, scrutinizing, like he's judging not what I'm saying, but how I'm saying it. And I think whatever he knows or doesn't know that maybe this was some kind of very, very, very last test to see if I truly belonged in his tribe of back alley ne'er-do-wells, if I belonged in his circle of trust. And then finally, as if the jury in his head has reached a verdict, the demons chased away from his courthouse. For now, his body relaxes beneath his Tommy Bahama shirt. A sense of calm returns to my inquisitor. He hands me an olive branch. But, you know, not literally a branch. It's a token of acceptance. A pair of worn binoculars he undrapes from his neck, ritualistically the neck strap yellowed from many a stakeout. I clock a faded sticker on the black textured barrel of the binoculars that reads locals only. And with this solemn, almost stoic gesture, he shows me the way. And I feel like we're actually cool cool again. And it feels cool to be cool with someone. I'm not alone.
1: Look over there, just past that cove.
0: That cove?
1: No, the other cove!
0: To be fair, there's a lot of coves. More coves than I've ever dealt with. But then I finally see what he wants me to see.
1: There. See that glimmer?
0: Oh, yeah. Gosh, that's... That's far. And it is. There's no way I would have spotted the golden weather vane on the tall mansion roof that peeks out just over the sea cliffs, like an upside-down geometric lightning bolt. I take in the rest of this ornate seaside mansion. That seems to be the whole reason Dave brought me here. The thing he wants me to look at. All three stories of it. This mysterious abode. It looks like a place F. Scott Fitzgerald would vacation at in the 1920s. That kind of deep brown shingle exterior, worn and compromised by decades of misty salt water. Windows built sturdy to withstand a constant ocean assault in the form of tidal droplets cast upon this stately yet leisure hewn fortress. It feels like a pier, or a wharf, from yesteryear, dismantled and reshaped into a structure for the living. Beneath a dense, dark roof, the top floor boasts a giant floor-to-ceiling window made of a slightly tan-tinted glass the color of whiskey, meant to filter the sun's oppressive rays. The second floor features a deck enclosed by wood railings that feel like they've been taken from the Titanic in the spirit of a curse. The square area looks out into the ocean as if in a constant game of chicken with eternity, all of its furnishings draped in a heavy beige naval canvas to avoid seasonal disrepair. And the bottom floor is your standard bottom floor. All bottomy and stuff. Dave says a private road leads to the mansion and that he's never been able to breach it, implying the only way out there would be by sea, which seems extremely dangerous, considering how far it is. Like, Impossible to get to without swimming or taking a boat through a treacherous stretch of ocean far. Reports of a storm brewing this evening and clouds in the distance behind the structure only add to the ominousness, Om- ominousness. How scary the place looks. Just the thought of entering that blustery sea makes my teeth chatter like a maraca in a paint mixer during the tragic Northridge earthquake.
1: That, my friend, is the roof of a mansion on private property owned and operated by, drumroll, one tawny Gatherbrook. Please, your applause is deafening.
0: As he says all this, one element in my binocular view immediately catches my eye. How could I not have noticed it before? It's the building's cornerstone. It appears ornamental in its presence, fighting the wooden theme of its surroundings, while at the same time giving pride of place. Wooden buildings don't normally have this kind of thing unless the cornerstone's there as a statement or esoteric belief in its supernatural properties. I mean, look up cornerstones and you realize at some point they're doing sacrifices around them in hopes of guaranteeing a good harvest and not all those sacrifices were animals. Either way, its placement must be ceremonial. I had just focused on the binoculars and recognized some kind of bronze relief inlay sculpture within the cornerstone, and I realize I've seen it before. In my brain. From reading about it. As you know, a recent P-Files of ours shared reports from a moving company that transported a similar cornerstone from a building in Washington. From... The same mansion that Fiona Caruso visited on her night with the Children of the Thrill. If that cornerstone traveled from there to here, I wonder what else came with it. Luckily, Dave has done some recon. Thanks to a fuck buddy arrangement with a hillside motel owner, Dave's words, not mine, and his membership in a local astronomy club, my words, not his, Dave's been able to stake out from afar the mansion's property and observe its comings and goings. He tells me every few months or so a group of about 12 bookish types will stay in the place, always different individuals and always for a couple of weeks, before then leaving the place entirely dark for large chunks of the season. Through his various sources in the garbage industry, Dave was able to parse through several truckloads of mansion trash and piece together some pretty astounding things. His main finding is a stack of postcard mailers advertising a writer's retreat. I ask him to show one to me, and he produces an official looking Ziploc evidence bag containing the postcard. Style-wise, it looks like the type of thing you'd get in the mail from a realtor with little nuance. It's mostly black and glossy, and her face is on there. Tawny Gatherbrook in her signature red-framed cat-eye glasses and mop of brunette curls looking like a kicky English teacher who might just change your life. Emblazoned across the front above her are the words unlock the thrilling potential of your mystery. Be a writer. Few of her book covers are on there such as The Balloon Keeper and Fool's Gold. I flip it over and see something not wholly unexpected, but still puts a chill in my bones. It's a letter, a letter M, in that same if the Empire State Building was a font. The insignia for Monomyth Publishing. Next time on Finding Pattersby. Well, paddle, damn
1: it, paddle. You see that storm out? Not want
0: to get caught in that. Finding Pattersby is written and directed by Ryan Sandoval, with music and sound design by Eric Jorgensen. Additional music in this episode was performed by PJ Clark, John Chavez, Thomas Mello, Brian Robinson, and Scotty Salmon. Patrick Clark also played Big Wave Dave. Check out Patterspod.com and follow us on social media at Patterspod for updates, announcements, and all kinds of other neat stuff. We also invite you to join Apollo Plus, where we release early bonus content a little earlier over there. Trust me, they also got a lot of cool shows, and supporting them means supporting us. If you're enjoying yourself, consider leaving a review wherever you get your pods, and tell others what you like about our show. It honestly keeps our fires lit. That'd be so awesome. And until next time, see you in the Thriller pages.